0: Good morning, Hope Church. Good morning. How y'all doing? Good. You're yeah, super. I like that. With the exception of white stuff kind of floating around out there, right? Ah, no big deal, right? You know, you'll be surprised to know. You guys know that I'm a shorts and t-shirt summer kind of person, right? You guys know that. You'll be surprised to know what I got for Christmas, snowshoes. <laughs> snowshoes. I actually asked for them, if you can believe that. And I plan to make good use of them. But uh, I want to begin by asking a question. You guys are thinking to yourselves, oh, here we go with the questions. Is he just going to ask us a bunch of questions? That's a question. Am I? No, I'll spare you. I'll spare you. But I do want to ask you this question. If I asked you if you wanted or could use a million dollars, what would your response be? Yeah. And, you know, it was just a couple of weeks ago that one of the largest jackpots in the history of the lottery was won. The ticket was sold in Maine. I don't suppose anybody has been in Maine recently, have they? Purchased a ticket? No? Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about the odds of winning the lottery anyway, right? Chances are not good, but somebody had to win. And if I had the winning ticket in my hand right here and I asked you if you wanted it, what would you say? Absolutely. I know that probably everyone would say, yes, of course. Or in today's vernacular, you might go, duh, right? I mean, that's kind of a dumb question. Of course. The answer is so obvious. When was the last time you were asked a really kind of dumb question with, that had an obvious answer, other than this morning when I asked you about the million dollars? At work every day. At work every day. It happens a lot, right? very often we are asked questions that seem to have very obvious answers. But are the answers always so obvious? Today we're going to continue in our series of messages entitled, Questions Jesus Asked. And friends, Jesus was, and He still is, through His holy and inspired Word, the greatest communicator of all times. Present tense. And He uses questions masterfully. Now, we know that many of the questions that Jesus asks can be very challenging. And they may not have easy answers. See, He asks us questions that encourage us to contemplate. His questions cause us to think They encourage us to ponder. Jesus asks questions to invite us on a journey of discovery. And the reward of that journey is that we may learn something about ourselves. The risk is that we may learn something about ourselves. See, honest introspection And soul-searching is part of the spiritual life in Christ. And while it is true that Jesus asked these questions of people some 2,000 years ago, they're recorded for a reason. They're in His Word for a reason. They are there for our benefit. They're there for us to answer. So are we ready to wrestle with these questions? Now last week we spent some time considering the question, who do you say Jesus is? And we came to understand that our response to that question would influence our answer to every question that we're asked moving forward. It is our personal conviction, what we know to be true about Jesus and not popular opinion, It's our personal conviction that guides us on this journey. Now today, we're going to ponder a question that would appear to have a very obvious answer. Kind of one of those duh questions, if you will. The question Jesus asked, do you want to be made well? English Standard Version translates it a little differently. Do you want to be healed? Now, I'm guessing that just about anyone who's dealing with a sickness or a serious illness, pretty much regardless of what it might be, something as simple as a cold or the flu, maybe something a little more complex like an infection, or even more complex like COVID, or, heaven forbid, cancer. If anyone was asked that question, the response would be, Yes, yes, I want to be healed. But is the answer really that obvious? Because the lame man that Jesus asked some 2,000 years ago, he didn't say that. His response was much more complex than a simple yes. And this is the question that Jesus is asking us today. Do you want To be healed. And as we ponder our answer, we will come to understand that it goes so much deeper than physical healing. Because the more important thing is spiritual healing. So I want to turn your attention to John chapter 5. We're looking at John chapter 5, first 15 verses. Turn in your Bibles or turn on your devices, whatever you use. Now, in terms of context to this passage, as recorded by John, once again, we're kind of at a turning point in Jesus' ministry. See, up to this point, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, they'd been kind of treating Jesus like, eh, you know, yeah, whatever, whatever he's doing, it's, it's a fad, it's going to go away. But after this, we see that their objective becomes much more nefarious. And then they're looking for ways to kill him. So we're starting to move towards the cross again. So let's begin reading at verse 1. There John writes this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. So here's the scene, Jesus and his disciples, they're back in Jerusalem, they've returned for one of the three major Jewish feasts, it's either Passover, Pentecost, Purim, we really don't know which one. And they're walking by the sheep gate. They actually may have entered the city by the sheep gate. And near the sheep gate is a pool. Now, I want to begin creating a picture in our minds because this pool, it may not be what you envision when you hear the word pool. You know, it isn't that, that gorgeous uh, infinity pool, you know, somewhere on the beaches of Mexico. And it may not even look like the pool in your backyard if you've been taking care of it. No, this is more of a pond. And this pond is separated in two parts by a wall. It's either a man-made or a natural wall. And on one side, one side, the sheep are being washed in preparation for slaughter in the temple. That's why it's called the sheep gate. The sheep for sacrifice are being herded in they're being brought over to this side of the pool and they're being washed in anticipation of this sacrifice. So picture that, and I want you to understand that Bethesda, the word Bethesda, it's really a two-part word, and it's translated in Hebrew, "house of mercy, House of mercy. It's the the noun part of the word very closely related to the Hebrew word hesed, which if you've studied the Old Testament, you know that hesed is the Hebrew word that describes God's loving kindness, His mercy. So this is a house of mercy. So on the one side we have the sheep, and then on the other side we read in verse 3, Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. English Standard Version calls them invalids. So let's kind of complete this this picture in our minds here. On the one side, we've already envisioned the livestock, right? And and if if you've spent any time around livestock you know that it probably isn't a real pretty scene. And it's probably not a a nice smell coming from that side. Now add to that, on the other side, you have this multitude of sick people, this multitude of invalids. And you can almost hear, you know, the groaning of the people longing to be healed, looking for mercy. And these, these, these invalids, they know that as, as these sheep are being paraded by, that they will never be able to enter the temple because they are considered unclean. Unclean. See, it was commonly accepted back then and taught by the Pharisees that one's sickness was a direct result of their sin. It's kind of a prosperity gospel that the Pharisees taught, right? If you were wealthy and you were well, you were favored by God. You were good. You were free of sin. But if you were sick, if you were an invalid, it was because of your sin. In fact, in John chapter 9, Jesus is asked about a blind man. And the Pharisees ask him, who was it that sinned? His parents or him that he was born blind? And Jesus says, "No, no, 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 no." His physical condition has nothing to do with sin. He's blind because the glory of God is going to be displayed. So Jesus kind of kind of dispels this idea that it's past sin that causes the sickness. And as, as we consider, friends, this, this multitude of sick people that we have over here and their physical disabilities, I want us to start to focus in on our spiritual sickness. Because if we're honest, friends, we, we're all sinners. John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. See, we are, we are a multitude of invalids. That's really what the church is: a multitude of sick people, sinners in need of mercy. See the parallels? You see the understanding of the, the point of this story? So we read on in verse 5, it says, One who had been there had been an invalid for 38 years. So Jesus walks by this scene that we've created in our minds, and and now John, he, he zeroes in on one person. One person. And this man had been afflicted for 38 years, which is really longer than most people lived back then. So he'd been this way all his life. And as our story continues, I want you to zoom in on yourself. I want you to really look honestly at you. Then at the beginning of verse 6, John writes, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. Now, I just want to stop here because I've got a little bit of a problem with the NIV translation here where it says Jesus learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. See, the original Greek, and and really honestly almost every other translation translate this, that Jesus knew that he had already been there a long time. See, Jesus knew this man's state. And John is revealing to us Jesus' deity, His knowledge. Remember, Jesus is the source of all knowledge. So he already knows. He already knows this man's state. You know, the 38 years that he spent as an invalid, the days, the months, the years spent sitting by this pool hoping for a miracle. Jesus didn't have to be told about this situation. He didn't learn about it. He already knew. And friends, that's Who Jesus is. And he knows you. He knows you perfectly. He knows everything about you. He knows your past, your present, your future. Psalm 139 says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Friends, Jesus knows you. And He knows you perfectly. And you know what else? He has compassion. He has compassion. How many times in the New Testament do we read that Jesus was moved with compassion? We see it in the story. We see it in the story. Jesus didn't have to go this way. He didn't have to go by the pool. Matter of fact, if you think about this picture that you've created in your mind, you would imagine that most people wanted to avoid it. This dirty, smelly, Sick place, but that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. See, Jesus goes this way by design, He has compassion on this invalid, He seeks him out. See, Jesus goes toward need, He doesn't go the other direction, He doesn't seek out comfort. No, Jesus moves toward the brokenhearted sinners, not towards the self-righteous. Is there something that we can learn from, from that alone? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I want you to know that Jesus knows you and that He has compassion on you and He is moving toward you. And then at the end of verse 6, he asks the question that we want to wrestle with today. He asks him, do you want to get well? Again, in the English Standard Version, I like it a little bit better. It says, do you want to be healed? Man, that, that, that seems like a dumb question, right? It seems like one of those duh questions. Here's this invalid, disabled for 38 years, sitting by this pool that is supposed to heal him. And Jesus says, do you want to get well? You'd expect the guy to scream out, yes, yes, I want to get well. But he doesn't. Verse 7, we see his answer. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water's stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So so incredibly interesting the answer that this man gives to what should be a yes or no question. It's a binary response. But then he goes on, he goes on to, to, to explain his situation. Why he can't make it into the water? Or is it an excuse? Has the man become so accustomed to his sickness that he can't imagine being well? Maybe being healed would mean losing his life as a beggar. Because to be honest with you, back then, you could actually make a pretty decent living begging. If he was healed, maybe he'd have to do something. Maybe he'd have to work. See, a deeper question, friends, the question behind the question is, do you really want to be changed? Do you really want to be changed? That's the question that Jesus is asking us today us. Yeah, have we become so complacent in our sickness that we don't want to change? We won't change. It's what we know. You know, so often we hear say, people say things like, oh, that's just how I am. You know, that's how I grew up. It's my nature. My parents were like that. I'm just a product of my environment. Friends, what they're really saying is, I don't want to change. Or, I don't believe that Jesus can change me. But friends, that's why Jesus went to the cross. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6 that Jesus died, that our old self might die with him. That's how we participate in his death. Our old self is gone. And here's the beauty, we participate in his resurrection. We are raised to a new way of living, a new life in Christ. Do you want to be changed? Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be healed? Unfortunately, like the invalid in our story, our focus very often tends to be down. Right? We're looking down. We're looking at the pool. See the pool? The pool is a long shot. If 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 our hope is in our ability to get into the pool, if our hope is in our willpower in saving ourselves, if our hope is in the you know, if only, right? If only I could get into the water. If only I could get that raise, that new job. If only I could find the right mate, the right relationship. If only I could do better. If only. So what's, what's your if only? What's your Bethesda? What's your pool? You know, James 1 tells us that every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, yet we continue to look down at the water instead of looking up at Jesus. So what does Jesus say to this explanation? These Excuses. We see it in verse 8 and following. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Now I want us to notice here that Jesus actually gives three commands actually gives three separate commands. The first is, get up. Get up. Something that this man hadn't done in 38 years. Something that he could not do apart from the healing power of Jesus Christ. And he gets up. Second one's a little bit curious. Because Jesus says, pick up your mat. And I want you to consider for a moment that mat. You know, this is a mat that this invalid has been lying on, you know, confined to for for probably years, maybe with bed sores and and all kinds of other stuff. It's probably dirty and filthy and, and covered in stuff you wouldn't even want to imagine. Yet Jesus says, pick up your mat. Why would he tell him that? His mat is a reminder of who he was. His mat would become his testimony. We'll see that in just a minute here. But the third command is walk. Walk, move, do something. Follow after me is really what he's saying. Walk. And the invalid listened. And he did all that Jesus told him to do. He did it all. He even picked up that filthy, disgusting mat. See, the man didn't pick and choose which commands that he would obey. No, he obeyed them all. And friends, that is exactly what Jesus is calling us to as well. Every command, everything we read in that Bible... We give over every aspect of our lives. And friends, in a world that wants to treat Christianity like a buffet, right? You know, oh, I'll take some of that. That's good. The salvation part's really good. Yeah, I like that. Oh, but that's, oh, that's really hard. You know, I'm, none of that for me. Thank you. Or, well, no, that's, that's not inclusive enough. We are called to follow every command. All that we read in God's Word, we give it all over. There's no in-between. There's no picking and choosing. Follow every command. There's a little bit more to our story. It's kind of interesting in the following verses, at the end of 9, going into 10. It's a really interesting response from the Jewish leaders says, The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. So <laughs> here we have, I like to call them the holy hall monitors. Right? The Pharisees. They see this guy doing something that they say is against the law. You're breaking the law, albeit a man-made law, right? This is a man-made law. He's not breaking any of the commandments. No. These were laws that were created by the Pharisees. They're calling them out, calling them out for breaking the law. Then in verse 11, but he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. He's like, hey, the guy who healed me told me to do this. And I love the way the Pharisees respond in verse 12. They ask him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? Notice the Jewish leaders didn't ask, who healed you? Right? They completely blow off the miracle. Their focus is on this mat, Right? They see the mat. They, they, they focus on this violation of the law. But I want us to think about that for a minute because they see the mat. They see the mat. And see, it's the mat that reaches the ones who need healing so badly. Pharisees needed healing. They didn't know it. They see the mat and they recognize this. And the same is true, friends, for our mats. Our mat is who we were. We were different, but now transformed, changed, healed by the power of Jesus Christ. That's who I was, but I'm made new. That's our testimony. That's our story, and we're called to share that. See, not only can Jesus heal you, but He can use your mat To heal others. It's interesting that verse 13 tells us the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. The man didn't know who healed him. He really didn't. And we get a sense of this from verse 1 where he addresses Jesus just as, Sir, sir, he didn't know who healed him. And we see Jesus slip away. Probably because he didn't want to get involved in all of this, but also because he had no intention of healing the entire multitude. But then in verse 14, it says later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, "See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you." Gotta believe that the, the the guy's thinking, you know, something worse. I mean. Really? I mean, what could possibly be worse than being an invalid for 38 years? But see, Jesus is telling him, and friends, he is telling us as well today, there is something worse. And that is an eternity spent in hell. An eternity spent in hell. Because that's the price that we owe. That's the price that we owe for our sins, for our sickness. And we're all sinners. Again, you know, if we're honest, friends, we will admit we're sinners. A few moments ago we quoted 1 John 1 verse 8. I'll remind us if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But friends, here's the beauty, okay? Here's the beauty because when we turn as Jesus commands us here today... The very next verse promises, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we would just stop looking down into the water, stop looking down into our pool and look up at Jesus, he will forgive, he will heal, and he will change. question is, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be changed? And it's really not a dumb question, friends. It's a question we have to wrestle with. See, God is going to heal us on his terms. His terms, not on ours. It really comes down to faith. Do you trust God to change you without you trying to manipulate the results? Are you willing to let go of everything? To let go of where you are and allow God to make you new? A new life, a new way of living. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus asked the invalid to do something that he couldn't do on his own. And he's challenging us today. Believe in me. Get up. Take up your mat and walk. Put one foot in front of the other and follow after him. Do you want to be healed? Friends, I pray that our answer would be yes, yes, and amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We praise you. You are the almighty God. You are the all-knowing, amazing, all-powerful God, and we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that... By the power of Jesus Christ, we can be changed. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be changed. And I pray for each one of us here today as as we consider our own spiritual sickness, our our own Bethesda, our own pool, may we look up to Jesus and say, yes, Lord, yes, change me. Change me. I want to live a new life In you. Father, hear our prayers, for it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.